Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. All right, welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Producer Joe, how are you today? I'm hanging in there, Dano. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right tone, obviously, mm. for uh, what happened yesterday. I found out I was in my car, and uh, I live in Florida, about 60, 70 miles north of Parkland, where this uh, horrible school shooting happened. And... um. You know, when the story first broke, I didn't know the severity of it. I don't think a lot of us did. Now it looks like uh, 17 dead. I mean, kids, you know, they're kids. They go to school. You know, they're worried about, you know, when you were a kid in high school, Joe, what are you worried about? I mean, these days, your Snapchat account, a test you have, uh, passing your driver's license test, whatever it may be. That girl that, uh, that you like, you know? Yeah, exactly. The girl who bats uh, an eye next yeah. year, whatever it may be, and next thing you know, you know, it's over. I mean, you've taken your last breath. I mean, how do, how do you, what do you say? I mean, adjectives aren't aren't going to adequately describe the horror of what happened yesterday. You got a parent, and supposedly some of the kids um, hadn't been identified up to late last night because uh, as they ran away, they didn't have ID on them. They may have had it in backpacks, but they fled from their backpacks. So you're a parent. You don't even know. I mean, uh, obviously that. It's really just an uh, you know an unspeakable horror. I mean, my wife said to me last night as a former Secret Service agent, she says maybe you should talk to Isabel, you know, uh, Joe, and, and tell her what to do. Isabel being one of my mm-hmm. daughters who's in school now, and I, I said to my wife, I really, I don't have any good answers right now. Um, I have some, I think, good answers. We'll dig into some of that today about what I think schools can do, what I think teachers can do, but I, I don't have any good answers for kids. But, and let me just explain to you why before I get into this show. I didn't really intend to go down this route, but, you know, my daughter's 14, they're in a school, in a school where you follow orders, you follow instructions. If the teachers don't lead, it's very rare that you're going to have a bunch of teenage kids uh, really in an environment where they're told to do what they're told. Well, understandably, there'd be chaos in the classroom otherwise. Oh, everybody do what you want. That's not the way it works. You sit down. When you sit down, you're told to be quiet. You be quiet. You listen. The teacher instructs the class. It's very difficult to get the kids to act independently in an environment like that. It's mm-hmm. not like in a mall. Does that make sense, Joe? Mm-hmm. In a mall, you're there with your friends, right. you hear gunshots, you run. In a classroom, they're going to look to direction from the teacher. The reason I say that is I didn't have a lot of good advice for my own daughter, but I do, I think, have some good advice for teachers and administrators, um, which I want to get to. Um, you know, we have to pay for the show today. So uh, today's show is brought to you by our buddies at uh, Helix Sleep. Uh, welcome them on board. We really appreciate it. You All know, right. I just went shopping uh, for a mattress recently. It was a horror show. You go in there and you don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. You don't know. You don't even know what you're looking for. I know I didn't. And basically, there's nobody on the planet like you. Uh, so why would you want to buy a mattress built for everyone else? That doesn't make sense, right? Uh, working with the world's leading sleep experts, Helix Sleep developed a mattress that's customized to your specific height weight, and sleep preferences so you can have the best sleep of your life at an unbeatable price. This this company is terrific. I really like what they're doing here. I checked out their website. It was amazing. Here's how it works. Go to helixsleep.com, fill out their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll design your custom mattress. They can even customize each side for you and your partner, which is good because my wife and I have different preferences when it comes to sleeping. I like it super soft. You know, Joe, like you sink into it to never (laughs) appear again sometimes. In 2018, Helix Sleep has taken a customized, has taken customized sleep to the next level with the Helix Pillow. 
The all-new pillows are fully adjustable, so you can achieve perfect comfort regardless of sleep position or body type. These pillows are incredible. Get, try it out. You will not be disappointed. Take my word for it on that one. Helix Sleep has thousands of five-star reviews, plus you get 100 nights to try them out. That's great. And for a limited time, you'll get $50 off your mattress order when you go to helixsleep.com slash Dan. That's Helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash Dan. That's helixsleep.com slash Dan. $50 off. That's a big deal. Helixsleep.com slash Dan. Go check it out, folks. It's a great company. Uh, welcome them on board. It's good to have them. Okay. Um, this, when I was a an agent with the Secret Service, they had came across an idea. They said, listen, I think we can add something to this uh, debate about how to improve security joe at our schools Mm. and the logic was sound the logic was that there are probably some similarities between people who engage in targeted violence against political figures and people who engage in targeted violence at schools Mm -hmm. um targeted violence means it's not random it's not a street robbery um it's it's someone with the intent to picks up a weapon or even attacks with their hands and you know fists whatever it may be but they're targeting it towards a certain people or group of people, whether it's a political figure or a school. So the Secret Service had said at the time, I think we can add something to this discussion. So back, it was a while ago, the report's about 10 years, uh, t- 10 years old. But they put together a report with the National Threat Assessment Center. Um, I am going to link to the report. It's a 99-page report. But here's the deal, folks. You don't. It's lined out in such a way, the report, that you can read it in segments. You don't even have to read the whole thing. But there are some takeaways I'm going to give you on the show today. And if you're a parent, if you're a school administrator, um, if you're a teenager in school, uh, there are just some quick takeaways I want to include today, hopefully to contribute to the conversation for the better, uh, to maybe improve school security in the future. They did a study similar to what they called the Exceptional Case Study Project, the Secret Service. What was that? The Exceptional Case Study Project was um, an evaluation they did in conjunction with the mental health community, Joe, of people who had engaged in, in targeted political assassinations or assassination attempts. Huh. In other words, they interviewed the people trying to – the assassins right. or attempted assassins, people who attempted to assassinate someone. And they found out some incredible things. There were some commonalities amongst these assassins. Um, you know, One of them I always uh, – uh, that stuck out to me when I was in the Secret Service and interviewing people who had made threats was target the discrimination that – you know, when you – when you watch movies like In the Line of Fire about the Secret Service, like the Clint Eastwood movie, right? Mm-hmm. One of the things you come across from that movie with the John Malkovich uh, assassin character is that the, the most dangerous assassins are the ones that focus, Joe, like a laser on one target. Mm-hmm. In other words, the, the, the fictional president in that movie, Malkovich wants him and he wants that guy and that's it. And this guy's the most dangerous out there. The reality is... Men and women who've engaged in that type of behavior, assassination and targeting political figures, the most dangerous ones, Joe, are the ones that are very promiscuous on their targeting. Mm. One day they're targeting a Hollywood celebrity. The next day it's a politician. The next day it's another politician. The next day it's a country singer. Those are the ones who are the most dangerous. And I know that 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 seems strange. Like you would think, oh, they're so mad at one person. But that's not typically what happens. So they discovered some important commonalities amongst these people. They said to themselves, the Secret Service and National Threat Assessment Center, well, you know, we could probably do the same thing with people who've engaged in targeted school violence and find some commonalities there. Hmm. The commonalities are striking. Here they are. This is from um, 
my third book. This was I don't even have the book in front of me. This was just a uh, manuscript I sent over, but I took a screenshot of the page. So it says some of the startling findings of the report, talking about the Secret Service report, which should concern every parent of a school age child child were. Here's the first one. This is really stunning, folks. The perpetrators of school violence often tell at least one person about their plans, give out specifics before the event takes place, and they obtain the weapons they need, typically from their own home or from a relative's home. Think about what I just told you. If you're a school-age kid listening, if you're a school administrator, if you're anyone involved in schools, these people who attack the schools typically tell someone about the plan in advance, giving out specifics. Now, this is not a police state. I'm not suggesting that every kid who says he's, you know, oh, I'm mad and I'm going to show up and I'm going to, you know, beat up Tommy tomorrow is a potential murderer. But there's no question, Joe, that a lot of mm-hmm. the overwhelming majority of these kids who engage in, 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 in these in these school violence incidents have told someone and that should be a warning sign. What does that mean? What's the action item? OK, so they told someone, what do you do? You know, you don't know about all the attacks that didn't happen. Why? Because they didn't happen. What I'm basically saying is if you can get those kids who say things like this to people and other students in front of a, a, a school psychologist, in front of a school administrator, in some cases, if it's severe enough, maybe an interview with law enforcement, if it's a direct threat, then maybe it's enough to stave that off. But you have to at some point report it. In other words, if you're one of those school-age kids or administrators and you see and hear things like this, I get it. You know, see something, say, we've heard that so many times, it's become almost, you know, so rote that it doesn't mean anything anymore. But in this case, the study was exhaustive, Joe. It was a well-researched study. The kids had told people what they were going to do. Keep your ears open and open your mouth if you hear something like this. Uh, Second takeaway, many of the attackers developed the plan weeks in advance Hmm. and did not act impulsively. That's important, folks. That's important because the weeks in advance buys you time. Time is your friend. It buys you time to respond. You see Instagram photos like Joe were reported on this kid. Right. Yeah. This, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, the alleged shooter in this. That there were Instagram photos of him and he had, uh, you know, he's a young kid and he's, he seemed to have an obsession with firearms. You know, this give it that doesn't mean anything per se. A lot of hunters like their firearms, too. A lot of young kids are competitive, uh, you know, shooters or they may just be interested in self-defense. But the fact that this kid who had had, a, you know, was a known discipline problem and had all these pictures, mm-hmm. there were typically weeks in advance of planning that goes on here, Joe, meaning you have time to respond again. Keep your ears open. Keep your mouth open, too. If you he if you see and you hear something like this, it's your obligation to say something. Here's another takeaway from this. This is important for people like us, responsible gun owners out there. Many of the weapons used in the attacks were taken from the home. Mm-hmm. Now, listen, I'm not here to lecture anybody, folks. That's that's not my job. I'm not your priest. I'm not your rabbi. I'm certainly not your psychologist. But uh, me being a gun owner, you being a gun owner, it's my obligation. Yours as well. You got to secure those weapons. I know you know that. Again, I'm not being preachy about it myself. I've uh, certainly at times been been guilty of at least when I lived on my own some probably some lax gun security but now that I have kids it's a whole different ballgame a lot of the weapons came from the home when, yeah. when, when did this report come out again I'm sorry yeah, yeah this is this is almost 10 yeah probably over 10 years Would old you please tell me why the hell I'm hearing this for the first time yeah, I know I I, I, I tell I've me been saying this on national media to anyone who will have me how is it that 
this stuff is not out there? And the answer, I, I don't know. You know what I think it is, Joe? Um, my experience working in the Secret Service, I don't mean this as a knock on them. They're not a PR agency. They're a law enforcement uh, protection outfit. This is a pisser, dude. This, uh, this really is. It's good to know, but it's a pisser. No, I know. And they, they, they don't. They're not an effective public relations outfit, and it's not their fault. Yeah. They're, you know, they just don't know how to get it out there. I mean, what do you do? A press release, and you know, you can't do a a big press conference once a week. And I feel like I'm. It's my job to put this info out there. Matter of fact, I tweeted it out last night. The report and the link, by the way, uh, folks. Please read the report. Again, it's 99 pages, but you don't have to read all 99. You can read two or three pages of it and come away uh, better for it. We'll be at the show notes at Bongino.com. And if you're on my email list, we'll email it right to you. Um, don't miss it. But you're right, Joe. I'm, it's I'm, I'm, why it's not out there. I have no good explanation. I'm sorry I can see you shaking in. your head. And yeah. I was wondering what you were shaking your head. No, at. Now just, it makes a little more sense. I've never heard that before, ever. No, it's, well, here's a couple more for you. Um, this shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. Um, but again, it, for those school-age kids listening, listen close to this one. I mean it. Pay very close attention to what I'm about to tell you. Many of the attackers were victims of bullying, sometimes severe bullying. Now, why do I say that? Again, you know, to the younger kids and teenagers listening, I don't mean to call you kids, but high school age and even younger. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm not your preacher, man. But, and is every kid that's bullied going to become a serial murderer later on? No. But some of them are. And, you know, you have to ask yourself, are you doing the right thing? Are you doing the easy thing? You know, we teach a religion class, my wife and I, and uh, one of the things we bring up all the time is, you know, do you want to be accepted and take the easy route or do you want to take the right route sometimes and be almost a moral outcast? There are some times where it's convenient to let that kid, that 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 teenage boy or teenage girl eat alone at lunch who you know is a good person, but nobody wants to be friends with because they're not whatever. They don't fit your your stereotypical, you know, edgy image or whatever it may be. God forbid you get pictured, you get photoed in an Instagram shot with that kid. Really? You sure about that? You sure you're making the right call there? You're making the easy call a lot of these kids were victims of extreme bullying you know think about that next time you know you have the opportunity to do the right thing and instead you take the easy route out to be part of the you know whatever you want to call it the in crowd or whatever it may be not good not good at all last one and shockingly some of the attackers communicated their plans to other students who this is amazing joe i mean really Mm. Rather than reporting the incident, actually encourage the attacker to carry out their plans. Say what? Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I'm not making that up. That's in the, again, folks, read the report yourself. It's available at the website, Bongino.com. Check it out yourself. So some of these attackers told other kids about the plans, and instead of them reporting it to administrators or law enforcement or the parents or whatever, they actually encouraged the, the, the attackers to do it. Now, to be fair here, reading it like a with some sense of a psychological background, I spent a couple of years in graduate school studying neuropsychology and behavioral learning. I don't claim to be, you know, the uh, Sigmund Freud of our time, but folks, I don't think these kids took the other kids seriously. I don't think they really meant, hey, you know what, do it, do it, do it. I think they just they didn't take them seriously. The mm-hmm. point here is that's irrelevant. What's irrelevant is if someone said what's relevant, excuse me, is if someone says something like that to you, um, it's your job to say something and report it. 
I mean, who knows how many of these things could have been stopped if warning signs would have been uh, would have set off alarm bells. Yeah. Uh, folks, it's it's I, I'm just trying to help a little bit. Here's a couple more things. Um, and then we're going to move on. I got other stuff I need to get to as well. You know, from a security perspective, as a former agent where this is all we did was secure structures and locations for the president of the United States and other other uh, protectees. There are two things you have to keep in mind here, and uh, I, I always try to think of easy ways to sum them up. So I've been thinking about this all day. I think the best way to say it would be, you know, time and terrain, right? Time and terrain matters. Time is uh, you're, you're the attacker's friend. The more time he has to carry out an attack, uh, the, the more damage they can do. Right. Now, I'll get to terrain in a second, but now your idea, if you're thinking about this as a counter uh, to counter the assault you know, to counterattack, counter the attack, your goal as someone interested in security should be, well, how do we then take time away from that person? And the answer here is an easy one. The answer is having response officers and response security guards there who are trained, ready to respond. Now, apparently there were some armed officers on that scene. I don't know what happened um, yet. And until I know, I, I can't comment on their response. But if you are in a school or you're a school administrator and you don't have uh, trained response personnel at your school, understand you are giving a potential attacker time and time is exactly what they want to carry out their attacks. There's a reason when you're a Secret Service agent and you're on the working shift next to the president, you're within arm's reach of the president. Why is that? Because it reduces the time for you to respond to the president. As we used to say, maximum to the protectee, minimum to the problem, right? You all surround the protectee. You let the problem that the local law enforcement and our counter assault team or SWAT team take care of the problem. We're there to evacuate the president, but you can't evacuate the president if you're far away from him. You also can't help these kids if you have response officers that are not placed at strategic locations. I'm not, you know, and for all the liberal kooks, I'm, listen, I'm sorry, I'm not interested in you today, especially the jokers and the clowns and and the, uh, the, the you know, the, the I'm going to forget it because I, I can go on all day about the media matters buffoons, but they just contribute to the problem here. That's what they do. Um, but it's saying, oh, you want to try to turn our school into armed camps? Um, no, um, we're not trying to do that. We're trying to turn our schools into safe locations where the kids can learn. Stop with the nonsense political talking points, okay? So time, the way to decrease the attacker's time is to have response elements available there right away. If police officers have to drive to the scene and respond to a scene they're not familiar with, time is the attacker's best friend. Yeah. Having a resource officer with the resources to fight back on the scene cuts the time down. And Joe, uh, this is why uh, I, I addressed it the way I did. He's also familiar with the terrain, point number two. Mm. Time and terrain, okay? Mm -hmm. Terrain can be your friend. Terrain can be your enemy. Terrain features can be your friend. Terrain features can be your enemy. Now, in this case, the terrain features were the friend of the attacker. Why? Because he was familiar with mm -hmm. the terrain. Why? Because he was a former student. Now, you're going to see that a lot. If you read the school's uh, safety report I told you about from the Secret Service in the show notes today, if you read that, you'll see that most of the uh, attackers in these school violence incidents were familiar with the grounds. They were either former students or they knew people in the school. Now, having said that, how do you, again, turn time to your advantage like you did the first way by keeping a school resource officer there to respond quickly, cutting down the time of the attack? How do you make the terrain work in your favor and not work in the favor of the attacker? The answer is... Again, you have people on the campus familiar with the terrain, not police officers who may be seeing it for only the first or second time. 
listen, I, I, this is not a knock on our police officers. Obviously, no. I was one. I've, I've, I've def- I defend them and will continue to. These are the person, the bravest. They pick a, they intentionally pick a career they could be killed in on any given day because of their bravery. But let's just be candid. They're not as familiar with your school campus as even the students there because they're not there every day. If you have a school resource officer with the resources to fight back, they're familiar with the terrain. One more thing on the terrain features. You have to make the terrain as unaccommodating as possible for attackers. What do I mean by this? One of the things in the Secret Service, Joe, we used to talk about um, was making big things small. It's something I've discussed on the show before if you're a regular listener. I used to to call it the box-within-a-box approach. Whatever you can do to make terrain less accommodating for an attacker, you should do. Whatever you can do to lock him down or, or, or her, whoever it may be, the attacker into a certain location, you should do. One, you shouldn't allow them access to begin with, but assuming they get onto the campus, whatever, they cut a hole in the fence, they climb a fence with a weapon, whatever it may be, you want to lock them down to a certain specific spot. Well, why is that? Well, it's for a couple of reasons. Number one, you don't want them roaming the entire campus, taking advantage of a broader uh, scope of victims. That seems to be obvious. But secondly, the police response then can be targeted. And if it's not a police response and it's an on-site school resource officer response, it can be targeted even more precisely. Now, how do you do that? Folks, there are a number of ways to do it. One of the ways you do it, and thankfully, it appears it appears that some of the teachers yesterday did this. You can just simply get doors that are that are that are sturdy. They don't have to be bullet resistant doors. That would be unbelievably expensive, but sturdy enough that these doors can be locked, so that it requires some man- manipulation to get them open. What does that do? That costs the attacker time. It makes the terrain unfavorable. Mm-hmm. Lock the school doors. There are simple tricks we used to do in the Secret Service. Door chocks. If the doors open out. Outwards, you have these cones you can put on the hinge device at the top of the door. They will make it difficult. Is it going to stop him from shooting through the door potentially? No. But is that going to cost rounds? And is that going to cost time? Yes. This is important. Make the terrain unfriendly. Have pull down gates. What are pull down gates? Or 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 or, or um, excuse me, doors that lock. And if you have a big hallway. When I used to go to school at St. Pancras up in uh, New York, uh, they used to rent out the gym to organizations in order to prevent kids and people, Joe, from going upstairs into the grammar school. They had big roll down yeah. gates at the end of the hallways so you could you couldn't get into the school. If you had those at the end of school hallways, they're not that expensive. You could stop an attacker from going that he'd be locked into one specific location. You give law enforcement access. Then you, you see what I'm saying, Joe. Mm-hmm. If you have a school with 15 different wings and 3,000, uh, you know, 3,000 students, you can completely lock down specific buildings, hallways, and everything. So there's nowhere they can go. It makes the terrain unfriendly. Mm-hmm. It costs them time. Then what are they going to do now? They're stuck in one specific spot, folks. Time, terrain. Um, one more thing on the terrain: making the terrain friendly. For law enforcement and for school resource officers, school blueprints, you should have them on email. You should have hard copies. Local law enforcement, a lot of schools are doing this already. Local law enforcement, police department should have a blueprint, readable, easy copy of the blueprints of the school on electronic format, print format. They should be able to pull it up right away on the hood of a police car and go, here's what we got. Here's where our guy is. Here's where we need to go. Here's where the entrance points are. Simple stuff, folks, but it makes a big, big difference in the long run. I think that they make sense. And there's just so much, you know, unbelievable. I mean, the, the, the instinct, as I said yesterday on my Twitter account, 
if your first instinct is to claim to want solutions as you simultaneously attack the character and motives of others who are actually trying to provide solutions, then you're a piece of garbage. You're not seeking solutions at all. You're trying to leverage death and destruction for your own political agenda. And really, shame on you. I mean, really, you should be horrified and embarrassed. Disgusting. Yeah. I'm with you there, right. dude. Um, I've got some other stuff I want to get to today. Oh, oh wait, one more final thing. I, I know I was on Fox last night. I got some negative feedback on Twitter, and I understand I read all your feedback, and I do appreciate it, negative and positive, as long as it's constructive and not like, you're a jerk. Um, I get that a lot, too. <laughs> um, but I did say last night that you know, we don't know the relationship between violent movies and violent video games and violent kids. We don't. I mean, there's. It, I'm not willing at all to say that's causal. Um, the question there has always been, Joe, do violent kids seek out violent video games or do violent video games make kids more violent? Yeah, you've said that before. The answer is, yeah, yeah nobody really knows. I mean, and I'm, I'm not because I got some gamers who tweeted to me and they said, well, Dan Bongino saying violent video games or I'm not saying that. I thought it was clear as day and I'm not saying there should be some government ban on video games that are violent. I played them. I played, you know, guns growing up. I'm not a I, I don't think at least a particularly violent person. I'm not saying that at all. All I was trying to imply is that if you're a parent of a kid that's got issues like this kid did, it's probably not a good idea to expose them to violent content. That's all I was saying. I just want to be clear on that. I'm not, you know, because I, sometimes I think people see you on TV, no matter how clear you are, they come away with the preconceived notion of what you said. Oh, he's saying violent video again. That's not what I said. I didn't say that at all. As a matter of fact, I was very clear. I'm just saying there's a certain parental responsibility here. Me too. I'm a parent, folks. I'm not absolving myself with this to police what your kids are watching. It's not the government's job. It's our job. Make sense, Joe? Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to respond to some of that. That was some really negative feedback. All right, folks. Today's show brought to you by our friends over at FilterBuy. Hey, it's been a cold winter. Dallas down to 11 degrees at one point. New York, it was, oh gosh, I was up there going to a Christmas party. I was freezing my butt off. I wasn't used to it. Uh, Minneapolis for the Super Bowl was something like minus five. Winter's in full swing and your HVAC system's working overtime trying to heat up that house. If you aren't properly maintaining your filters, you're not only breathing unhealthy air, you might find yourself with no heat and then thousands of dollars in repairs like I did when my two units blew out. There's a better way now with filterby.com. That's filterbybuy.com. America's leading provider of HVAC filters for homes and small businesses. You got a small business, you got a whole boatload of clogged filters in there. These are your guys. You got a house with a couple of clogged filters in there. These are your guys. Filterby.com carries over 600 different filter sizes, including custom options, all shipped free within 24 hours. Plus, they're manufactured right here in America, which we always like. Filterby offers a multitude of MERV options all the way up to hospital grade. So you'll be removing dangerous pollen, mold, dust, and other allergy-aggravating pollution while maximizing the efficiency of your HVAC system. You save some energy, too. Right now, you can save 5%. It's a nice savings when you set up auto delivery and you'll never have to think about air filters again. Save money, save time, breathe better with filterby.com. That's filterbuy.com, filterby.com. Go check them out. Thanks to filterby. All right. Um, there's an interesting development, Joe, in uh, the Spygate scandal, the Obamagate spying mm-hmm. scandal. I wanted to, uh, oh, yeah, I got a couple other things I need to get to as well, but. This one's fascinating. Here it is in a nutshell. So, you know, we've if you've listened to the entire series on this from episode number 628 on, 
You know that this all started with allegations that the DNC, the Democratic National Committee, was hacked by the Russians. You've heard it so many times, Joe. People assume it's true. Um, If you've been listening to the show, what I'm about to tell you is not a surprise. If you just tuned in recently, what I'm about to tell you may be a surprise. You understand, right, that there's no evidence that the DNC, I mean, no hard conclusive evidence, I should say, that the DNC was hacked by official Russian actors. You understand that, right? Folks, the Democratic National Committee may not have been a victim of a hacking scandal at all. Now, their emails were were, were stolen, but we don't know if it was an inside job. We don't know if it was a phishing scheme. We don't know if it was private Russian actors working on their own for whatever, ransom, embarrassment. Could it have, Now, let me be clear on this. As I said in yesterday's show, we absolutely know that the Russians are trying to get involved in our elections because that's what they do. They sow chaos. I am not saying that the Russians have I'm not absolving them of any responsibility in that. I'm telling you with this specific incident the hacking of the DNC, that it may not have been a hacking at all. Hmm. Now, what led to this narrative? Well, one, it created a convenient narrative to go after the Trump team because, as as Jim Comey said himself, the hacking into the DNC and the Trump collusion narrative are all married together. In other words, folks, what I'm telling you is the Democrats understood from the start that in order to have a Trump got together with the Russians and colluded to overthrow an election. They needed to have the DNC hacked by the Russians because that was an essential component of the narrative. Does that make sense, Joe? That, look, Trump knew the Russians hacked into the DNC emails and he colluded with the Russians to make sure those emails got out and he embarrassed everyone, Hillary included. You get get what I'm saying? Yeah. If the Russians did not, in fact, hack into the DNC email system, the entire narrative of collusion cannot exist. Now, Andy McCarthy has a really good piece I'll put in the show notes today at Bongino.com. I encourage you to read where he alludes to this halfway down, that these narratives are all interrelated. So let me just be clear on what I'm saying, folks, because it was a major break in this case. If the DNC was hacked by the Russians narrative is not true. The entire case against Trump for colluding with the Russians to get those hacked emails out there to embarrass the Democrats entirely falls apart. Because, Joe, how can you collude with the Russians to distribute hacked emails they don't have if they didn't hack them? Now, what's the break in the case? Well, fascinating new. uh, And you're going to have to follow me here because this gets a little convoluted, but it's eye opening. Uh, Jordan Schachtel has a piece up at Conservative Review, which um, let me just make sure I put this uh, CR together that I'll add to the show notes today. Talking about a lawsuit. Now, this is fascinating because it involves basically a left wing or left leaning media outlet in BuzzFeed and the DNC, which are Joe, the DNC. You think they're left leaning? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Probably a safe bet. Right. BuzzFeed. Let me walk you through this here. And Joe, as the audience ombudsman, please stop me if uh, if I confuse anyone. Will do. The the. BuzzFeed published the hoax Trump dossier in the hoax Trump dossier. People are named in there. People are named and accused of things which they categorically deny and which is no evidence they did what they did. People are accused of being Russian spies. People are accused in taking part of, of hacking and information infiltration. The people who are involved in that people are accused of taking trips overseas, including Trump associates to coordinate, conspire, Joe. Mm-hmm. 
There is no evidence that these trips, this this conspiratorial evidence even exists. It didn't happen. So what what happened after BuzzFeed published the hoax dossier? Well, of course, Joe, BuzzFeed got sued (laughs) by some of the people involved in this who said, hey, you guys are supposed to be journalists at BuzzFeed. Don't you have some obligation to check the information before you put it on your website and spread it out there? So, again, follow me here. Mm-hmm. Just to rewind you, we're talking about the the hoax narrative that the, the, uh, the what looks like a hoax narrative mm-hmm. that the Russians hacked the DNC. Mm-hmm. The Trump colluded with the, the Russians to get that information out there, then falls apart if that didn't happen. Right. BuzzFeed publishes a dossier claiming a lot of this stuff was conspired by by Trump team members and others. Okay. BuzzFeed then gets sued. Now, BuzzFeed is trying to defend itself by doing what? This is an interesting tactic. BuzzFeed is saying, Joe, what we published is not defamatory because we don't know it's not true. Hmm. In other words, BuzzFeed is sticking by the story here that the dossier may may be true. Hmm. Now, folks, there's no evidence of that. So BuzzFeed has a team of investigators doing what? Working around the clock to try and prove the dossier, which contributes to that narrative I told you about, Mm -hmm. Joe. DNC was hacked by the Russians. Trump colluded with the Russians to embarrass the Democrats and get that information out. That entirely falls apart if the DNC wasn't hacked. The DNC hack information is part of the dossier. BuzzFeed is being sued for publishing it. Now they've got investigators working around the clock. Well, one of their investigators is basically asking for a subpoena from the from the uh, from the court to produce Joe the DNC's records of the hack. Ooh. Now, now Ormacost. <laughs> let me ask you, you're not a federal investigator, right? You weren't an FBI agent or a cop. You're a smart guy, right? Yeah. If th- the DNC was actually hacked by the Russians, mm-hmm. and there's any evidence of that at all. Mm-hmm. And the DNC is unquestionably uh, a left-leaning organization designed to support left-leaning can- left-leaning candidates and left-leaning causes. Mm-hmm. And BuzzFeed is a left-leaning outlet that obviously tried to take a shot uh, at Trump with publishing this dossier mm-hmm. before it was verified. Don't you think the DNC would be eager to rescue BuzzFeed from this lawsuit and save them? Yes, I do, Dan. Well, Armacost, let me give you a fascinating development in this. The DNC won't produce the records. Uh-oh. The DNC, <laughs> here's what the DNC's doing to BuzzFeed. Right? <laughs> yeah. Now, you saw what I just did? They're giving them the double-barrel middle finger. Yeah. Folks, why do you think that is? Now... Let me give you the DNC. To be fair to the DNC, let me tell you what their excuses. And folks, I, I don't believe this. At I don't. This is so absurd. But I, I have to put it out there. The DNC Joe is saying, well, if we give you those records on the hack, it may expose us to additional hacks in the future. Wait, <laughs> wait, what? We're okay. So let me get this straight. Uh, there have been unquestionably. Hundreds, if not thousands, of really dangerous computer viruses that have infiltrated yeah. our internet networks and our computers at home. Um, we've seen them. They're, the stories, mm-hmm. by the way, are publicized all over the media. And what do people do? They go get antivirus software that responds to it. Yeah. 
So what you're telling us now is that you've publicized to the world that you were hacked by the Russians. But if you actually produce evidence you were hacked by the Russians, what, the Russians will find out and try to hack you again? Does this make any sense? So, Joe, the Democrats on one hand are telling us we're hacked by the Russians. On the other hand, they're saying we can't produce any evidence we were hacked by the Russians. If we produce said evidence, Joe, the Russians will attempt to hack us again. By the way, they're also telling us that the Russians are the, are the biggest geopolitical threat in human history and they're hacking us all the time. Are you like a crazy person? Are you like a crazy person? Does this make any sense at all? So the Russians are hacking everyone everywhere all the time, which, by the way, I believe they're they are yeah. engaged in some pretty serious threats here sure but you're saying you can't produce the evidence you were hacked because if you do the russians will hack you despite the fact <laughs> that they're trying to hack you anyway uh, folks I, I don't get it the only plausible explanation to this entire story here ladies and gentlemen the only plausible explanation Jeez is that they were not hacked by the Russians and they don't have the evidence. So now BuzzFeed's doubling down. They're like, we want the evidence. Show us, you know, it's it's turkey time. And they won't do it. Folks, I'm telling you again, something's rotten in Denmark, okay? The whole story is the house of cards is going to come down. Make absolutely no mistake. Read the piece, read BuzzFeed's response, read the DNC's response, and you're going to start to say to yourself, wait, just so I can wrap this up, I got a couple other things I want to get to here. The entire collusion narrative is built around the fact that the Russians attacked the DNC in an organized effort in conjunction with the Trump team. That's the whole collusion story. Go back to listen to episode 628 and it'll make sense. The entire narrative falls apart if the DNC was not hacked by the Russians. Because your story that Trump worked with them to do it falls apart because there's no it. There's no it that happened. It's time to tell the DNC it's turkey time. Now, and some of you may say, well, didn't we have that report by 17 law enforcement agencies that, by the way, conveniently came out right around the time of the meeting with Barack Obama, Susan Rice, and all those other people that she wrote the cryptic email about after they left office when Trump got inaugurated? Yes, that report. But that report did not say conclusively the Russians did it. Why? Because the FBI, no federal law enforcement agency, actually looked at the DNC servers. So they couldn't. It said there were some patterns there. So, folks, just to be clear on this. The Democrats are insisting the Russians hacked their servers with the help of Trump. They can't produce any evidence to BuzzFeed that that happened. They have never let the FBI in intentionally to see those servers. They've never let another federal law enforcement agency come in there and confirm they were hacked. But we're all supposed to take them at face value. And the media parrots this talking point left and right. Folks, there is no evidence to date. That the Russians, the organ, it was an organized Russian effort that led to that hack. There is a bunch of evidence the Russians are causing chaos and trying to destroy our electoral system. No question about it. But the DNC narrative is collapsing in front of our very eyes. They won't even help out their left wing friends over at BuzzFeed. Unbelievable. All right, let me give you some good news. So there was a, um, couple interesting op-eds in the Wall Street Journal today. I've been hitting on the economy lately because there's a lot of, uh, the, the, the left's starting to panic, yeah. folks. Here, here's what's going on. The liberals are freaking out. 
the polling data on the effects of the tax cuts and the polling data on Trump approval um, has gone up dramatically. Yeah. Uh, the the uh, tax cuts were at about 36 percent approval when they passed because the liberal talking points said, oh, you weren't going to get a tax cut. This is only for the rich. You're all going to get screwed over. Uh, were refuted by what, Joe? Uh, paychecks. <laughs> People got their paychecks and said, hey. This ain't so bad. A thousand dollar bonus. I'll take that. Thank you, uh, DJT, Donald J. Trump. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. I'll cash that check. Now, what didn't help was Nancy Pelosi and others running around going, it's crumbs, crumbs. Yeah. It's all crumbs. Thousand dollar crumbs. Um, a thousand dollars is not crumbs to anyone. Uh, I do rather well. I'm proud to say that. I'm a free market capitalist. I'm telling you right now, I don't do well enough that a thousand dollars crumbs. Okay. It ain't crumbs. So this is killing the Democrats right now killing they are taking a beating the trump tax cuts popularity has gone from 36 percent to about 48 percent right now trump approval is up at about 46 47 percent which are very good numbers for him very good numbers also this is important folks i ran for congress a couple times and this is a number of republicans pay attention to they keep their eyes on this thing all the time there's a thing called the generic ballot show mm. you basically send out a questionnaire you do a phone survey phone poll and you say Okay, um, who are you more likely to vote for, a Republican or Democrat congressional candidate in the midterm elections? Very simple question. That the Republicans were getting mauled on that. They were down by like 10 points. They're now up by one, which is a very, very, very good sign for Republicans. And a lot of strategists have attributed that to the economy. Now, with that setup, setup being this. Democrats are panicking. Poll numbers are turning around. The tax cut is working. Economic growth is kicking in. The Democrats, instead of Joe doing what they did under in the Reagan years by trying to be part of the growth forever, you know, Tip O'Neill was pretty liberal, but at some points he tried to work with Reagan on things so they could at least take some credit for it. The the left is doubled down on talking the economy down. Crumbs, it's crumbs. They will not give this guy any credit at all. How do I know this? I follow some select accounts on Twitter and I read uh, the the accounts of certain people in the Wall Street Journal and elsewhere. These people are the bellwethers. They're the what would you I don't know a good way to call it. They're like the Paul Revere's for the left. If you ever want to see where the left is going mm-hmm. strategically, read their stuff. And one of those people who I mentioned often on the show, Joe, you've heard the name before is Jason Furman. Yeah. Jason Furman was an Obama economic advisor. He writes pieces in the Wall Street Journal. I mean, they, of course, the journal lets him, you know, just like the Washington Post once in a while will include a piece by Mark Thiessen or some other Republican. But the Wall Street Journal uh, lets him put pieces in them, which is fine. Again, I'm unlike liberals. I don't believe in snowflakiness and keeping opposing ideas out. But Furman's op in the Wall Street Journal today is very telling. Because he does exactly this. <laughs> Instead of trying to take part in, in celebrating a growing economy, the liberals' 2018 strategy, Joe, is going to be to talk it down. Which, again, great. Liberals, good. stick with that. That is a total loser. It's not working for you. And if you want to double down on it, go right ahead. I, I don't care. I don't care at all. Knock yourselves out and get smoked in the midterms. I don't care. But, again, this guy's a bellwether, Furman. What he writes is typically what's going on in the think tanks on the left. So their strategy is now to talk down to the economy. And their new talking point is going to be this. And and it's it, not everything he says is wrong, by the way. I don't want to immediately discount a lot of what he's saying. But I don't think what he's... 
although some of what he's saying is not wrong, he's saying it for the wrong reasons. I, I, that'll make more sense in a minute. He says, hey, listen, we need to be really careful here, okay? And this part he's right about. He said, if there's inflation and prices start going up at a higher rate, Joe, than wages, mm-hmm. you may be getting a raise, but you're certainly not getting a real raise, right. which he's right about that. If inflation goes up, it's, God forbid, 3 4 5%, which is a lot, folks. It's at about 1.9%, 2% now. And your wages are only going up by, say, 2.5%. I got news for you. You may be getting a raise, but you're losing money. Hey, great. I'm making an under, extra 100 a week. Okay, great. Gas is costing you 200 more a week. That's a real problem. And he brings up a perfectly valid point that um, oh, this may be in another. I'm sorry. I may be confusing op-eds, but it's in the op-ed section today. It, he alludes to the inflation component. Uh, but in another op-ed, they say this is what happened during the Bush years. We actually had some pretty decent growth under the Bush years. Yeah. Uh, 43, not George H.W., uh, George W. Bush. The problem, Joe, is people didn't feel it because gas prices were so high. So great, you got a hundred dollar raise. Gas costs you one hundred fifty more. You're basically losing money. And he talks about how in the United Kingdom the same thing's happening over there now, and that some of the more conservative politicians are being hurt at the polls because even though wages are growing up and the economy's doing well, inflation is moving and moving fast. Listen to yesterday's show, by the way, where I give a little uh, uh, primer on this: why inflation, how it's happening, and why it could be a big deal, and why there are some warning signs now. Remember that, Joe? Mm-hmm. It's important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So listen to yesterday's show, but. He says, you know what? This is where I think he went wrong. He says, hey, listen, this inflation thing is going to be a problem, and I don't think we're going to grow. Here's why. Because what's happening now is just cyclical, and it should be productive. Here's what he means by that. And this is going to be the Dems talking point. Oh, this is just the natural result of us coming out of recession and all this pent up demand. And the economy's not really growing. It's just all this pent up demand and consumption. And it's just all a farce. Folks, that's nonsense. That he's just making that up. He's making it up, and here are the numbers. In his own piece, he kind of debunks his own premise. So just to be clear, he's saying inflation's going to be a huge problem. Wages may be going up, and inflation could outpace, which it could, and I don't disagree with him there. I don't think it will, though, and I'll tell you why. I think growth, he's underselling growth. In other words, Joe, Mm -hmm. for his premise to be correct, that prices will go up higher than your wages, he's assuming that growth has to be low enough that your wages won't go up. You get what I'm saying? Like, he has to sell growth short. I think that's what he's Mm -hmm. doing. That's why I'm not as worried about the inflation thing. Although what he said isn't wrong. If inflation is higher than growth, we are going to have a problem. I'm telling you, I don't think it will be, just to be clear. But secondly, the second point he makes is, well, here's why growth is going to be a problem and why it's not going to grow as fast as inflation. It's going to be an issue because a lot of this is just cyclical. You know, we've been in a bad recession and we're just recovering and it's pent up demand. It's not productive growth. Nonsense, folks. His own numbers refute this. Here's what I mean. He says, listen, we need productivity growth rates. In other words, the ability, productivity, the the ability to produce more stuff and better stuff with the same or fewer inputs. That's what product, that's what growth is. If we produce a hundred vials of a flu vaccine for $10, Mm -hmm. how do you grow your flu vaccine company? You produce 110 for $9. Now you have more flu vaccines to sell. And it's costing you less money to produce them. Folks, that's how growth works. That's what productivity is. That's real growth. He's saying that's not what's happening. This is just cyclical. You get it, Joe? He's saying this is just all this pent-up demand coming out of a recession. It's not real productive growth. I dispute it, and he refutes it because he says, hey, listen, the growth rate over the last, we need about a two, two and a half, even 3% productivity growth rate to start really moving the economy. He's like, hey, the last 10 years only been 1%. 
Yeah. Under Obama, those policies have changed. Yeah. You see what I'm saying, Joe? He's like productivity yeah. was low under the last 10 years. Yeah, because of Barack Obama. Yeah. High taxes, Obamacare regulations. If we were continuing that under a Hillary Clinton presidency or a third term Obama presidency in the form of Joe Biden. Yeah, I would say to Jason Furman, you're right. We're probably going to have 1% growth because we're continuing the same policies. But Joe, that's not what he says. He's like, well, you know, Trump has changed all that. Is he alludes to, well, that's going to change too. We've already seen it turn around. My point is this, folks. He is way underselling the growth in the economy. Here's some good news for you in light of the horrible news we've had over the last 24 hours. And I want to get onto one final topic after this. But this is important. Smile a little bit. On the economy, there are things happening that are going to enable us to be more productive. In other words, produce more flu vaccines and more computers and more, you know, uh, what do I have in front of me? Telephones and microphones and I have a B12 vitamin spray. Things are happening that are going to enable us to produce more of those things at lesser cost. And what are those things? I mean, transformative things, folks. I'm not talking about small, incremental, marginal, tiny improvements. Big, huge things are happening. The sharing economy is freeing up resources. What do I mean by the sharing economy? You have cars all over the road right now at Uber that were sitting in parking spots, wasting gas or wasting time that are now being used to transport workers and people around to jobs. That you have people now who couldn't get a ride, who had to wait for a bus and wait for a train, who aren't waiting for trains, who are hopping in a car to get to their next job. Folks, magnify that over a 330 million person economy in the United States and boom, you've got instant productivity. You, you laugh, you think that's silly? I got more, by the way, but trust me, it's not. You got a guy who gets to his job now 20 minutes earlier, produces one more flu vaccine. Mm-hmm. You got 330 million of those doing the same thing. Well, not everybody's working, but you get the point. Mm-hmm. You have unused apartments now in Manhattan and other places being used by Airbnb. People who were paying 500 a night for a hotel who are now paying 200 Joe, what are they doing with that extra $300? Oh, they're going out to eat. They're mm. shopping at the local stores. They're buying more stuff. It's freeing up resources. The sharing economy is freeing up resources that were being wasted. Cars, apartments, rental space. It's now being used in a more productive way. This is a huge development, the sharing economy. Secondly, Gosh, I didn't plan to spend this much. You know, I love economics, so Joe, yeah, I and I want to leave people with some good news today. These are all, by the way, I'm just trying to make the point. These are all going to lead to more productivity, more products at a cheaper cost, which is the very definition of growth. Material science. Folks, you have 3D printers and you have amazing new materials, whether it's bullet resistant vests or whatever. Explosive growth in material science. Conductor chips, all these kind of things that are just growing in, in geometrically. That are going to add to productivity in the economy. On-demand printing of things. This is going to be stuff that enables us to produce stuff at a fraction of the cost. A fraction. couple more things. On the health arena. You have massive breakthroughs in gene therapy, gene research. The ability in the future, granted not right now, but in the future... In our lifetimes, to knock out Alzheimer's, to knock out diabetes, do you understand the cost we would save if the millions of diabetics in the country did not have to inject themselves with insulin every single day and could live completely normal lives and eat like everyone else and not have to worry? Do you understand the cost and productivity savings of that alone? Imagine we do that with Alzheimer's, with cancer. Joe, 
you would be talking about trillions of dollars in liberated resources not spent on medicine, Mm. not to mention the moral and ethical benefits to all of us of having done the right thing and saved the lives of thousands of Americans who now can continue productive lives and not have to sit in chemotherapy all day. Folks, it's happening. One more. Artificial intelligence. Now, I'm skeptical about the ceiling for it, as I've said before in shows in the past, but this explosive growth in artificial intelligence, the ability of artificial intelligence to figure out everything from navigation technology and GPS devices on the street to be able to figure out ordering processes in a restaurant. Do you understand the capability of, of an artificial intelligence network? To explosively expand productivity in our economy and free up resources to do other things? These are game changers. Jason Furman is selling us short. The productivity is right around the corner, folks. I'm telling you, if we can just get the government out of the way and get a hold on our government spending, I promise you, you are looking at a productive tomorrow that has limits you can't even imagine. It's uh, you're get, uh, folks six. I don't see six and seven percent growth as being chimerical at this point. If we could just get the government out of the way. All right. Um, one last story I saw in the show notes, which um, I thought was interesting. And I, I, you know, I like Dennis Prager a lot. He does some really great content on his show and on PragerU, which has been a tremendous public service. PragerU is a uh, website, Facebook page he runs, where he puts together these short five-minute videos that are incredible. They're really great. I love them. And he does a really good job. Well, Dennis Prager has a piece of the Daily Signal, which I will include in the show notes today. Um, And in there, it's short, it's sweet, but it's good. You know, he talks about something I've discussed do a lot. The dangers in America right now of the schism and the, the class identity and identity politics. And, he, and his premise is this, you know, why are leftists and liberals so unhappy? And he makes some really great points that I think we've discussed in the show in other ways, but these shouldn't sound that unfamiliar to you. He said, you know, Joe, when conservatives are unhappy, and he's basing this off with some survey data and some questions and some anecdotal experience, when conservatives like you and I and libertarians are unhappy, mm-hmm. We really attribute it to things like, hey, you know, life's difficult. It has its challenges and it incentivizes you to get stronger to overcome those challenges. You can't bench 315. Well, bench 275 for five times. Eventually you'll get to 315. (laughs) You know, you're not getting a promotion at your job. Well, why not? Well, I don't have the skills. Well, how do I get the skills? I go to school. All right, let me enroll in school. Well, school's difficult. Well, life's difficult. You see how that. Logic train, that reason train there incentivizes concern. And I, I'm, listen, I'm not trying to put us all on a pedestal. It's Prager's piece, but he's, he's right when you talk about motivating ideologies. Mm-hmm. It motivates us to action because we don't see ourselves, Joe, as passive victims. We see ourselves as active participants in a difficult life that requires us to harden up and overcome difficulty which incentivizes us to do things like go back to school. And in Joe's case, as we talk about how do we expand our brand, Bongino Inc., how do we get this out there? How do we get our message out? Joe and I every day are like uh, little things. How do we fix the website here? How do we do that? How does Joe, Joe's always making marginal fixes to the sound quality. Mm -hmm. Why? Because Joe's not a victim. Joe's not like when people, once in a while, we would get an email about something about the show. 
I forget one time, Joe, about six months ago, someone said, oh, it sounded a little echoey today. Mm -hmm. Joe and I, like all day, we're on that. Well, what do we do? We move the sound stuff around. If you're a victim, you're like, what's your first response? Ah, screw that guy, (laughs) punk. You respond back to him. Go yourself. Don't email us again. But we're not victims. We love our view. That's why I give out my email on the show. I like to hear what you have to say. Had a guy email me yesterday. Hey, I don't really like uh, basically you discussing foreign policy. I think you're wrong. I sent him back. Thanks for the feedback, but no thanks. We'll continue to talk about it. So, you know, I, I, you know, I appreciate you don't like my perspective, but this is the conservative ethos. Life is difficult, moves us to action to overcome difficulties, and it hardens us up. But that's uh, we're not miserable. And we're not unhappy, Joe, because even though we understand life is difficult, yes. we understand that we, as strong children of God, can overcome this by action. Mm-hmm. And eventually, we, those overcoming those difficulties will lead us to a sense of fulfillment. I'm not trying to get metaphysical, but this is important stuff. If you choose to be liberal, Joe, hmm. and you play into the identity politics narrative, hmm. and when you, Prager mentions this, how like when you survey them and you talk to them, They always see themselves as victims of something else. Misogyny, racism, sexism, Islamophobia, istophobia, phobophobia, phobophobes, istichphobia, phobophobes. Folks, nobody's saying this stuff doesn't exist. But conservatives attribute that to the being a part of the general cornucopia of life is difficult and these are things to overcome. But when you're a liberal, this is your ideology. You are where you are because somebody did this to you, and therefore, there's nothing you can do. It's what um, in, in psychology courses where they would call, you know, Seligman's uh, learned helplessness. <laughs> you learn to be helpless because you've learned that you're a victim of your circumstances and there's nothing you can do. When that's not true, it may be difficult to do it. Yes, if you are black, if you are a woman, you may at some point be a victim of some cases, maybe substantial racism and sexism. But if you're a conservative, you say, you know what, that really sucks and we should do something to fix that. But I'm not going to let it keep me down. I'm going to overcome these difficulties because life is difficult. And this is part of that difficulty, dealing with idiots. But if you're a liberal who's been indoctrinated into this, oh, this is it. Class warfare is everything. If you are a woman, you are being held down because of men. You, this is what your, uh, your motivating ideology is, is to be part of that victim class and to be included in that class membership. And therefore, you don't see, you learn to be helpless. We're a victim of this. This is oppressive. It's a white male power structure. There's nothing we can do. What a miserable existence. What a miserable existence. I mean it. That is a horrible way to live. I, I, you know, I'll never forget, Joe. I um, It's one last story for you, folks. Hmm. When I was a cop uh, in the 75 Precinct in, in East New York, Brooklyn, mm-hmm. one day I, I, I go up to this desk supervisor and I asked to take meal, which is your lunch break. It's called meal. I said, hey, you know, I'm going to take meal, uh, Sarge. And uh, I think, was he a lieutenant? He may have been a lieutenant at the time. I'm not even sure. I don't remember. It was so long ago. But the guy gives me a real attitude, Joe. I mean, you know, I was a rookie, which wasn't to be unexpected, but even an unusually nasty attitude. And I'm like, what was that about? So so the training officer, this really nice guy, I go up to him later and I said, uh, let's call him Jack because I'm sure he wouldn't be comfortable me putting his name out there. Hey, uh, Jack. What's up with the uh, desk officer there? Why, you know, why is he giving me such an attitude? I just asked him to take a lunch. It was a standard lunch break. It wasn't like a phenomenal request or something like that. 
And I swear he said this to me. He goes, you know, um, he doesn't really like Spanish guys that much. I was like taken <laughs> aback. I was like, w- wait, what? Well, folks, number one, I'm not, I'm, I'm not Spanish. I'm Italian. I'm, my wife is Hispanic, but I'm not Spanish. And I'm Italian, Irish, and German, okay? I'm not Spanish. Not that I would care if I was. I just, I'm not Spanish. But secondly, I thought, oh my gosh, like, did he just say that? <laughs> like, he doesn't like Spanish guys, so you can't think of me. He said it, he said it to me. <laughs> now, if, you know, if I wanted to, that's a, that's a pretty crappy thing to say. But if I wanted to play the victim stat, I go, oh, listen, you know, I'm going to you know, file a complaint. One, I, I all I did was say, all right, well, you know what? I'm going to take my meal anyway, and I'm going to go out and do my thing. And I just didn't see myself at that point. Now, I understand how if you are Spanish, that would be really offensive. And it's certainly within your right to file a complaint. It would be legitimate. But I'm just saying, like, as a guy who saw, like, life stinks and sometimes you got to overcome things, I just saw it as an obstacle to overcome in the fulfillment of my daily duties. And I remember that story like it was yesterday. It bothered me. It bothered me enough that it's now, gosh, 20 years later and I'm still telling the story. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But the point is, it was an obstacle. It was a dopey idiot who was another obstacle to overcome. He wasn't determinative, Joe, right. of what was going to happen to me for the rest of my life mm-hmm. or even for the rest of that day. Sorry, I don't mean to give you a hoorah, just, tale, but Just a lump in the road. Yeah. Just a lump in Move on, man. Yeah. Fix it. Move on. You know, and I just, I wish we would get that through to more liberals in light of the conversations we've been having this week. Listen, there are really bad people. View them as obstacles. Overcome them. Try to do something to change things. That's perfectly okay. But don't see yourself as learned. Uh, don't don't learn to be helpless all the time. Look up Seligman's learned helplessness. It's an interesting research project about what they did to dogs. You know, shocking them and chaining them so they can't get away. Eventually, they just stop trying to oh, get yeah, away. Yeah. Yeah. Try to get away. Seriously, try to get away, okay? All right, folks. uh, Thanks again for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Please go to Bongino.com. Check out my website. Check out the show notes today. Please read that Secret Service report I have in the show notes. It's a good one. You can take out little snippets. It it doesn't read like a narrative, so you can read it in chunks. Thanks a lot, folks. I'll see you all tomorrow. You just heard the Dan Bongino Show. Get more of Dan online anytime at conservativereview.com. You can also get Dan's podcasts on iTunes or SoundCloud. And follow Dan on Twitter 24-7 at DBongino.